1: And we're going to be looking at the true, more profound meaning of November. It's the day before Veterans Day, and, um, of course, Thanksgiving is coming up. And even though um, no sooner does the last trick-or-treater leave our porch than we start seeing signs up in the malls and the stores and all around to buy, buy, buy. It's all about buying things for the holidays. Well... November should not be all about materialism and buying things. It should be a time for gratitude. And first of all, gratitude to our veterans, um, because we wouldn't be here contemplating going to the mall were it not for them. And second of all, of course, um, gratitude for everything uh, that we have in our lives, our families, our friends, the uh, nature and um, everything else that we, we need to think about for Thanksgiving. So we're going to be talking today to two guests. First of all, Hale Brott. Um, he is the author of a book called Wilbur's War, an American Family Journeys Through World War II. Now, as I'm sure many of you know, we have a deplorable statistic of 22 American veterans committing suicide every day the government is not doing enough to provide services for them and these suicides are related to a number of things of course PTSD and problems from what they've seen at the um front but also problems Adjusting to life once they come back, and that includes not just things like finding a job and so on, but also adjusting to changes that might have been taking place in the family since they were gone, especially when they're gone for a particularly long times. So, my guest, uh, Hale Brett, um, has experienced this firsthand. He is a uh, an astrophysicist. And um, he used to be searching for black holes, then he started searching for his family history. When he found his father's letters um, one day, it opened up a whole world to him that he began searching and trying to find out more about uh, since then, and he has written about it in his trilogy, Wilbur's War, an American family's journey through World War II. So, Hale, welcome to the show.
2: I'm glad to be here.
1: Why don't you just start with um, start with your search? How that came about? What made you? How did you happen to find your father's letters? And and just start from the beginning.
2: Uh, My dad was over. He was an academic uh, chemistry professor who went in with the National Guard in 1941 with the New England National Guard and went through a year and a half of camps in the U.S. and then three years overseas in the Pacific, three phases of battle, two wounds, five medals, and about and preparing to go into uh, Japan. He would have been leading an infantry regiment in, in the invasion of Kyushu if it had happened. And he came home and he died right after he got home by his own hand. Uh, how did I get into it? And I knew he, I was a preteen and teenager. I was almost 15 when he died. Uh, so I remember those days and I knew he wrote a lot. But there was a back story uh, to this whole thing concerning the paternity of one of my sisters who was born during the war. And after... A discussion with her, and we none of us knew the whole story. Uh, I went into the basement of my home to see if I had any of those letters from my dad, and now I'm 50 years old. It was literally my 50th birthday. I'm 84 now, it was a long time ago. And I found about a dozen letters and was just bowled over by. How graphic and beautifully written they were. That sent me on a wild chase to find out the rest of the story. I visited the Pacific. I interviewed my father's siblings, his wartime colleagues, his academic colleagues, went to the National Archives, found pictures, and had, and really probed the story deeply. And it's a rich story, it's a wonderful story of the war, but it also addresses the human dimensions uh, that enter into it on both the home front and in my dad's mind. So that's a long pitch, I hope not too long.
1: No, no. So, I mean, that's one of the things that gets overlooked, um, Today when we we tend to think about uh, veterans returning home who commit suicide as suffering from PTSD and we don't really pay enough attention to um, the adjustment that has to go on when um, a husband has been separated from his wife for a long time and comes back and 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 they have to sort of re uh, kindle their love or put together their relationship. Tell us about how that happened, you know, what happened in your family? How long was your father gone, first of all?
2: He was overseas three years, but in in southern camps a year and a half before that, during which time we saw him occasionally. But he had been away for three full years in the Pacific Theater.
1: And during that time, what kinds of problems did your mother go through?
2: She... We were in Bangor, Maine, where he was head of the chem department when he was called up. He didn't really have to go; he was too overweight and low ranked, but he lost the weight that would allow him to go in, so he's the you know he wasn't forced to go. My mother and he together, maybe it was mostly her she claimed in later years it was mostly he. Who recommended that she go to New York City and, in order to build on her her musical and literary career or talents, she was a pianist and a writer. And in, this, this, in New York, she was a Washington State girl, so this was the big opportunity for her.
1: So was this? While your father was
2: away? No, this is when he first, the minute he left Bangor, Maine, in early 1941, Mm -hmm. we were on the train to New York City before he even left Bangor, and it was there that she, after he went overseas, that she found herself pregnant by a family friend.
1: Okay, wait. A friend,
2: elderly friend, 6 years older than her, a prominent okay. journalist.
1: Okay, wait, wait, wait. This is I'm, going I'm too a little fast. confused. Yes. Okay. Your father didn't have to go, but he was patriotic and he wanted to go, so he purposely lost the weight. First of all, is that right?
2: That's exactly right.
1: Okay. Then, when I don't understand where the um the relationship your mother had the relationship with a man before your father left, or or just after?
2: No, it was after we were in New York City a year or more
1: okay. that she
2: met this person.
1: Okay, yeah. And
2: my dad knew him. I mean, he was a friend.
1: Okay, so he goes off to fight the war. He's following his dream. He gives your mother permission to um, follow her dream in New York with her literary and musical talents. And um, and what and they're writing to each other back and forth. And she has taken the whole family. And while she's in New York um, pursuing her her career, her own career, um, she what gets lonely um, is is uh, worried about your father dying in the war and her being left alone. What what was going through her mind?
2: I don't have her letters. I only have my dad's reflection of her letters. Yeah. But she, they, but clearly in those letters was the concern that he may never come back. And she should be brushing up in improving her credentials and abilities. And that, that she was studying with a eminent pianist, Gabi Casadesus in New York city. Um, uh, and then she dealt herself as, you could call you know—a blow to that to her aspirations, and that led to lots of secrecy. She kept the pregnancy a secret from everybody. Planned to carry it on to term. I mean, didn't tell her own family. Didn't tell us the kids. She put in boarding school. Hmm. And and then. Led my dad to believe she was doing some secret war work and that's why the family was split up. It was so sad and it was, she couldn't, it was, as she put it later, it was the only year in her whole life she did not have her piano. So it was very sad and what transpired was the baby was born. She was probably living with the father and his mother in Washington, D.C. during the later part of the pregnancy and stayed there. The baby was born in October, stayed with there caring for her until the baby was about, till June, when we kids were taken out of school and taken back to Bangor, Maine by my mother. Where, And the only way I can interpret that is that she decided to walk the straight and narrow return to the academic army soldier's wife, proper life, take care of her kids. Because in Bangor, Maine were all the academic and musical and military colleagues and families and then she a year she told me when this all came out after all my investigation she told me that when valerie and i my sister and i were under out of the house in bangor that year we were in junior high she would look at the picture of the baby jesus on the wall and just cry her eyes out
1: mhm she felt so guilty so then your father well, came not ho-
2: guilty she she le- left her Baby behind.
1: I see. Uh-huh. And, that she made her think of her own baby. And then to um, finish
2: it up quickly, she, at the end of that one academic year, she picked the whole family up, sold the Bangor house, and moved us to Washington, where I first met the little cute two-year-old. And we were there when my dad came home and died. And then, the, you know, the dynamics of what happened when he got home... And what he knew and didn't know is pretty complicated. We could talk about it, but right well, now the, I'll, I'll stop.
1: Well, well, that's where I was trying to get to. Um, so then, okay, so she left the, the, the baby with the father of the baby.
2: Yeah, and his mother, who was a Lebanese lady.
1: Uh-huh. And, um, okay, and then your father came home from the war, and he apparently somehow discovered that this had happened during his absence.
2: Well, I have experienced, and I'm sure people you know have, who have deep problems. They don't climb out of them necessarily rapidly. It's my belief, or guess, that my mother and father never talked about that. My dad was only home six weeks. He was assigned to the Fort Meade Hospital, 40 miles away. He was an outpatient, and so we only saw him on weekends. There wasn't a lot of time to talk. Ostensibly, he never knew. He knew the little, I told you it got complicated. He knew the little girl, because the little girl was obviously... She was advertised as the father's baby by another woman. Mm. so so there was this lie, and uh I think my dad was fed it, but I think he was surely smart enough to have figured out what had really happened.
1: And so then six weeks after he got home, he committed suicide.
2: Right. He went in the basement with his 45 his own personal forty-five caliber pistol and put a bullet through his heart. Wow. Now, the question is, right, to what extent it was tied to that baby?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: And I... You know, my standard line is that most of us guys don't kill ourselves when our wives stray.
1: Well, I mean, I guess... I guess, though, it was... Part of a, a combination of I mean you had when we were talking before off the air before before right now um, you were telling me about how beautiful and how he, he would write these love letters to your mother and so needless to say during those three years that he was gone um, he must have um, had a different a different view of what his homecoming was going to be, and I know what you're saying that a lot of guys wouldn't kill themselves over their their wife straying, but on the other hand, um, add that to a background of <laughs> of being in the army for three plus years um, and and looking forward to returning to the love of your life that that does uh you know accentuate.
2: I could agree, no, I could not agree more, but I would insist on adding mm-hmm. that the morning he did this, he had a recurrence recur- of malaria symptoms. He did not feel that he remembered his chemistry and did not want to go back to the University of Maine. He had contemplated staying in the Army, but as I understand now, Uh, The conditions were such the army would not keep him because they were basically getting rid of everybody then.
1: well, And and
2: things were tense, yes, between my mother and him, though I didn't see it at the time. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: finally he left people in the ground, close friends, back in the Pacific, six feet under. Mm
1: -hmm. People
2: who had been, for example, crushed, by an American tank
1: backing
2: mm. up over them.
1: Mm, oh, God. Um, well, you said something about him being assigned to a hospital. Was that for psychiatric treatment? Or was th- that... In what way was he assigned?
2: Well, he did have this piece of shrapnel in his eyebrow, a small piece that bothered him. And... But I think I have... I have gathered that part of it. It was psychiatric, uh-huh. and one of the and one of the letters he wrote me wrote to his brother a week before he died referred to him being himself as being tired, his, nearly hysterical. I think he means teary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after he gave up his command when the unit was demobilized. He All of a sudden, had nothing. He'd been in charge of five thousand men, wow. preparing to invade Kyushu, mm-hmm. and then they come back to the United States. The UNIS demobilized. He's floating, and so mm-hmm. you're, and you're absolutely right. He, I think about him being having a vision of the homecoming, totally at odds with reality. <laughs>
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Even though
2: I mean even with ordinary reality. Mm-hmm.
1: Even,
2: you know, it, you know overlooking the pregnancy, the baby business.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
2: I must right, tell let's... you a beautiful poignant scene was on Thanksgiving which was like a week before he died monty the, the father of the baby and his mother and his sister and the baby the 2-year-old who was just a month more than 2 years old all came to the to our little house in washington and we had thanksgiving together and the little 2-year-old remembers sitting on this army officer's lap mm. Because he had all these medals on and stuff, hmm. and 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 my and there's a story in the family that Wilbur pulled her the two year old's hair back, revealing her forehead, and said something like, "It sure looks like a sparlin forehead." Hmm. Oh, so, wow. So you know there was the possibility of the whole. Family, families coming together, mm-hmm. and while he was still alive, if he had lived, but
1: well, wait, Sparlin. It was he, he was talking about a far farhead from his side or from this man's side, who your mother had the affair with.
2: I'm sorry, you don't know my family name. Sparlin is my mother's maiden name.
1: Yes, okay, that's what I I figured. That's what you were saying. Yep, yes, I just yep. wanted to be sure. So that. So yes, yeah, so he 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 was uh, he knew what was what was what. And basically. there also
2: was a letter I have from him from the Philippines.
1: Well, you, you know, help, on help, his... I do need Go to ahead. stop you. I do need to interrupt. I'm really sorry, but we're coming to the end, and um, I just want to. Well, first of all, I wanted to tell people to get this book. There's obviously a lot more here that we can then we can cover in this half hour, but. Um, but, you know, the point of all this and of being grateful to our veterans is that it's not just the veterans who um, who lose their lives and lose their limbs and lose, um, you know, lose their psyche, lose so much. Um, so many of them by going there sacrifice so much, risk so much but it's also the families who are left behind and it's the it's the wife or the husband who's left behind it's the children who are left behind I mean all of this um, we all need to remember that on Veterans Day that it's not just the veterans but it's all the lives that their lives touched that we have to be grateful for and, and appreciate the sacrifice families like yours, Hale
2: I couldn't agree more. You said it beautifully.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you you for sharing this with us. And again, I want to say that.
2: Can can we mention WilbersWar.com?
1: Absolutely. WilbersWar.com, and it's W I L B E R S W A R, WilbersWar.com. And again, the, the title of the book is Wilbers War, An American Family's Journey Through World War II. I wish you all the best with this. It, it is such a it is such a, a movie waiting to happen. Um, you just need to make sure that this book gets into the right hands because you know I, I'm sure that uh, some Hollywood producer would recognize that as well. So thank you, thank your father, thank your family for all of the service that they all, in a sense, provided. And thank well, you for being on Dr. Well, Carol's Carol, Couch. you're
2: helping too just by having me on.
1: Well, you're so very thank welcome. You. You're very welcome. Again, my guest is um, Hale Bratt. His book is Wilbur's War, An American Family's Journey Through World War II. Um, Thank you, Hale. And we need to take a break now. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Stay tuned. We're going to be um, talking with another guest, all related to the same theme, November, a time for gratitude, not materialism.
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about November, the month that we're in, a time for gratitude, not materialism. We just spoke um, with Hale Brett. Uh, regarding his his family's story that he's written in, into a book called Wilbur's War, an American family's journey through World War II uh, in honor of Veterans Day tomorrow and um, with the idea that we need to be grateful to our veterans and to their families. My next guest, Kevin Paul Scott, um, I came across... A um, um, advice that Kevin <laughs> Paul Scott is giving, which uh, I was really happy to read, since this has been one of my pet peeves for a long time. His advice was that businesses should be closed on Thanksgiving. Now, um, Kevin Paul Scott is a uh, an entrepreneur. He's a business builder, and he's the author of a book called Eight Essential Exchanges. And so his, his business is business, and if he's telling businesses to close, um, then I think that they should listen. And the reason why it's been one of my pet peeves, not as a business um, expert, certainly, but as, as someone who really cares about what is happening to our country, how we were becoming more and more materialistic, and ever since uh, this new trend of Um, relatively new, uh, I guess it's been a couple of years, um, where more and more businesses are opening on Thanksgiving. I mean, Thanksgiving is supposed to be the day when we're all quiet, at home, having a meal with friends and or family, and being grateful for all that we have in our lives, not rushing out to the meals. I mean, you know, all the people who who choke down their Thanksgiving dinner and rush out to the malls for sales, Uh, not only on Black Friday, but on Thanksgiving itself, uh, you know what this is doing, how and how it's destroying our psyche in terms of not giving us any time to be to be grateful, but instead just just um, encouraging us to buy, 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 consume as if that's going to make us happy or that's going to make us any more grateful. So, Kevin Paul Scott, welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm so hey, good glad to be with
3: you today. I'm so I'm glad we agree. What did you, you say it again? I said, I'm glad we agree on this.
1: Yes. Well, tell us about, now I know you're coming, well, I'm not sure. Um, I know you're talking about it from a business perspective, but you probably agree with it in terms of what I was saying as well.
3: I I actually agree from both perspectives, from the Uh personal, uh, the the family, what's important about family time, but also the business perspective. And and I believe, really, those two are are really linked together. And let's just talk about the situation first. What has happened is that for years, there is kind of this excitement around Black Friday. You know, stores are going to open early. There's going to be these doorbuster savings and consumers are lining up outside to get something, at an incredible deal. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. I think there's some exciting things associated with it. It's not not my favorite thing to do, but I don't have a problem with it. But what's happened is that many retailers, in an effort to one-up the other, Mm -hmm. have begun inching that clock backwards a little bit. So, you know, it's going to be earlier in the morning, and then you started seeing midnight on Thanksgiving. And now, I saw yesterday that Toys R Us and Sears and Macy's, they're going to be open at 5 and 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day, and it really is sad because what you're saying is true they it's eating into time with the family and what they're trying to do these companies is they're trying to get an extra couple of bucks out of out of consumers but i would argue this carol that they're not they're not getting any incremental dollars they're just getting them a little bit earlier instead of uh you know they're just spread out uh, uh over a longer period of time i don't think by opening seven hours or 12 hours earlier that they're going to do uh, inexplicably. They're not going to do that much better.
1: Mm-hmm. Because people only have so much to spend and, right?
3: Yeah, precisely. And they're trying to get it where, you know, we they want you to be their first per place that you spend their your dollars. Yes. Because their rationale is that if you do that, that you're more likely to come back and spend more dollars there. Now, Here's what's interesting. This has happened for years. It's really over the last decade that it's become worse and worse, eating into this kind of Thanksgiving Day uh, time period. But here's what's interesting, and it's just happened over the last year or two, and I think you're going to see it a lot this year, that there are companies who are choosing to stay closed on Thanksgiving Day. But what's different now is the companies that are choosing to stay closed are not only staying closed, but they're actively advertising the fact that they are staying closed and why. For example, uh, Nordstrom or or Costco, these are big retailers who are saying, you know what, we're not going to be open on Thanksgiving Day. We're going to put a sign up telling you we're not going to be open. And here's the reason why. Because first and foremost, we value our employees and we think they Mm. deserve a day with their families. Mm. Uh, Number two, we value this tradition. And and here's what I'd argue, and, I, and I, I believe it's true, and I hope it's true, is that when companies communicate their values to consumers, that many of those consumers, they have a deeper connection with them. And they say, you know what? I want to do business with somebody who shares my values. And I, I believe this, Carol, that those companies will do better in the long run because of that deeper connection with their customers.
1: Yes, I, I agree with that. Um, what do you think has changed the tide that was going, as you were saying, you know, earlier and earlier? What do you think is making some of these companies be the courageous ones to, to buck the tide and, and say that they're going to hold on to their values?
3: Well, it's two different things, and I'll give you both quickly. The, the one is, there isn't an employee thing. So as the economy improves, to have uh, somebody who's an hourly worker, probably at $15 or less an hour, that, that is an increase. It's increasingly competitive for a company to recruit and retain that employee. And so as that gets more competitive, it's, you know, they can't, because of the margin for some of these things, a lot of these companies can't pay somebody a whole lot more money, so they've got to find other ways to keep their employees mm. happy. And so, one, that's that's a big part of it. it. It is good for their employees. But furthermore, the American consumer is, uh, they care about where their dollars are being spent. And, and I gave two examples. There's a million of them, but I think Nordstrom and Costco are interesting ones because Nordstrom, I don't know how many of you have been there, but it's a high-end retailer. So, it's usually uh, a little bit higher price, whereas Costco is a consumer who's looking for value. They're looking for a lower price. So it, it works at either end of the spectrum. And I believe millennials in particular, so we're talking about young people here, millennials choose companies to do business with the way that previous generations chose charities. And this is what I mean by it. Those com- they basically, when they spend money somewhere... They want, to say something, they want it to say something about who they are and what they believe. And so when I'm spending money somewhere, I want to say, this says something about who I am, and therefore, I want to spend money with companies that reflect my values. Now, for some, that may be uh, family values or it may be environmental preferences. But this is one of those ways for companies to tell consumers, hey, We believe what you believe. We think Thanksgiving is important. We think family time is important. And we're going to put our money where our mouth is, and we're going to stay closed when some of our competitors are opening up because we believe that's important.
1: Well, that's... You know, it's... it's, Are you out there? Um, What have you been doing to try to get more companies to to believe this, to do this?
3: Well, a couple things. One is... it has been easier because more ho- high-profile brands have have taken this on. So uh-huh. probably the most notable this year is REI, and if, you, if you're not familiar with REI, they yes. are a uh, you know an outdoor kind of equipment company. Yeah, and and they've actually taken it a step further. Now, I think this is exciting. I think it's brilliant. I I don't think it's going to be a trend that everyone else is going to follow, but I think they've made a statement, and they said you know what, we're not going to open on Thanksgiving, and in fact, we're going to set out Black Friday all together. Mm. We're going to encourage you to go outside, to go do something with people that you care about, and, and you know what, we'll be back here on Saturday, and you can still spend your money with us. And, you know, they're making a statement. And when uh-huh. companies do that, here's the truth. There are more companies, there are, there are fewer companies that are taking a stand which means that they're going to get more attention from people like you and I who are going to talk about them. And here we are in in a few weeks before Thanksgiving, and we're already talking about uh, Nordstrom, Costco, and REI. So we've mentioned them multiple times. So I think, number one, they're going to get positive recognition, which helps. Um, The second thing is I think as companies become – more conscious of how they communicate their values, this will be a natural overflow of that. You know, here's a question that a lot of people have. Is the move to Thanksgiving Day, is that more driven by consumers or is it more driven by companies? Mm -hmm. And I really place more of the blame with companies. And here's why. You know, I don't know about you. I, I don't I'm not excited about getting up in the middle of the night or early in the morning to go wait outside of a store and, and try to buy. No,
1: me neither. <laughs> so,
3: so you and I aren't the target market anyway, so we can be honest about that. But here's the thing. There are some people that enjoy that. For some people, that is a time with their family. They, mm. you know, it's a family tradition. They get up together and they go do that. And here's what I'd argue the same people that are willing to do it at 5 a.m. on Black Friday, a lot of those are the people who are going to then go do it at midnight on Thanksgiving or at 5 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day. And if if those retailers would just stick to the Black Friday thing, they're going to get the same consumers that are going to spend the same amount of money. Mm -hmm. But by rolling it backward, you're kind of encouraging the consumers to play along. And so, you know, my hope is that I hope that more consumers will sit it out. Um, And, you know, I don't necessarily think that stores that open on Thanksgiving that their business is going to be hurt, but I do think that businesses that choose to stay closed and tell consumers why, that long-term, there is a benefit to their business.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, I guess... You know, with the recession, I guess, uh, comp- and so many companies going under, it's like so ridiculous companies that that you would never have believed would go under. Um, I mean, one of the things, one of the early um, fallouts, you know, was Tevin on the Green in New York City, which was one of my favorite restaurants. I mean, one would never think. Uh, I mean, it was too big to fail. Well, I would never have believed that that would ever happen, and certainly there have been a lot of other companies that are have gone under or are going under that you would never have believed some years before. But so maybe there's this panic, I guess, um, amongst a lot of businesses to to try to grab that if people have less money to spend now. Um, Putting aside the fact that we all go on credit cards—not we all, but a lot of people go on (laughs) credit um, cards—that they're trying to grab the money, grab the first that the first bit of money, because then when people realize that they really, when they max out their cards, for example, that then they won't be able to come to them. They'll already have spent it at five o'clock on Thanksgiving or at five a.m. on on Black Friday.
3: You're right, and I think there is a tendency, and I want to avoid it there's a tendency to cast um the retailers or just companies in general as these you know they're cold hearted and they just <laughs> they're destroying the values of america and you know, I don't think that that is their exact intention. I don't think they're saying, you know what we don't believe Thanksgiving matters, and so we're going to you know I think it's driven out of what you're describing that there is there's a, a fear from these companies, and they're worried that if, if they don't get the first dollars, they may miss out on some others. So you understand the motives, but I, I think long-term, you're going to start seeing more and more of these companies, the ones that are choosing to stay closed, that they're, gonna, they're going to use that not as um, kind of just a neutral fact, but they are going to use that to their advantage. You're going to see, and, and let me let me give you one example of it going a step further. This is this mm-hmm. one is funny too because I saw this yesterday from Nordstrom. Not only are they not opening on Thanksgiving, they're also committing that they're not going to put up Christmas decorations or, or any holiday decorations, Hanukkah, Christmas, until after Thanksgiving Day. And, mm. and this is their sign on their door says this: At Nordstrom, mm. we want to celebrate one holiday at a time.
2: Hmm. And so
3: we will not be decking our halls until, (laughs) you know, the day after Thanksgiving, and they say this. So from our family to yours, happy Thanksgiving. And and so what you're seeing is is them pushing back and just what they're trying to do. I, I think this is out of their hearts, but it also is a marketing play. They're telling consumers, you know what? So much is hurried in our society. So much is rushed, and... You get out of one holiday, and you're focused on the next one. They're saying, you know what? We've come out of Halloween, and we're going to spend the next few weeks being thankful. And we're going to talk about that, and we're going to emphasize that. And when that season passes, we'll then talk about the next set of holidays. But I think those subtle reminders that when retailers, when companies tell consumers, you know what? We think that this is important. We think that this this is it's important to you and it's important to us. I think a lot of customers, even if you're the type of customer who would go out on Thanksgiving Day shopping, you look at that and you say, you know, that's a place I'd like to spend my money. Yes. I, I like that they believe what I believe.
1: Yes, I think that's great. I didn't know that, but that certainly does uh, make me feel a warm and fuzzy. <laughs> I like Nordstrom's anyway, but that makes me feel warmer and fuzzier towards them. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and you know, to be so Nordstrom is a higher-end retailer. So for a company like a Walmart or a Target, for some of them, it's tougher to make this decision. But I would, I'd continue to advocate and to argue that that companies that do good also do good business. That mm-hmm. when you just choose to to be about things that are good, and you tell your customers, you know. Well, I'm not saying that you stay closed on Thanksgiving Day and you're going to have the best holiday season you ever had. I don't know that that's true. But uh-huh. I do believe you can gain a lot of affinity with your with your customer base when when you tell them what you're about.
1: Yes, absolutely. I I really hope more companies start doing that. Now,
3: your book,
1: um, Eight Essential Exchanges, how. Uh, is this the kind of thing that you talk about in in that book, or what what is that about?
3: Yeah, that's a, it, it's a it's a leadership book. So, and it's about making decisions to go from a good place to a better place. You know, for for most leaders, and when I'm talking about a leader, you could be a leader in business, or you could be a leader in your family or a civic organization. You know, lots of different types of leaders. But I I just have this belief that most people that are in those positions their toughest decisions are not between good things and bad things. Those tend to be pretty easy. They tend to be pretty black and white. Most of the time, people are choosing good over bad. The problem comes when you're looking at equally good alternatives, something good and something else that's good or better, and how do you make those decisions? And I think the most uh, successful individuals uh, and business people They are able to filter through those decisions and decide something uh, better over something good. I'm going to give you one example, and I think this goes along with a lot of the things that you would believe or think about. One of the decisions I talk about them as exchanges is exchanging fans for friends. So Hmm. fans, I would call, you know, a vast social network. A lot of people that are on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, which I'm on all of those, and they give us a great opportunity to connect and, and stay, stay uh, connected with a lot more people than we used to be able to. Mm-hmm. And I don't think those are inherently wrong. What I would say is, and I'll give the example of my business partner. My business partner, very successful guy, and a couple of years ago, he found out that his dad had stage four colon cancer and uh, less than a year left to live. And, you know, when that news happened, he didn't get a whole lot of comfort in how many friends he had on Facebook or uh, how successful, you know, his networking ability was. So, it's not that the fans are bad, but when, when life happens, when a tough situation happens, those real relationships, those close relationships tend to matter more. And so, For some people, they'd say, that doesn't sound like a business principle, but it is. When life happens, we need to have invested in real friendships um, because they matter when life hurts most.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. Um, There is this tendency, you know, we count numbers, how many followers we have and all that, and that's all very nice. But, um, because, you know, especially if we have things that we want to say that we think are important, but, um, but as you're saying, when, when it comes down to it, what is the relationship, really? And it's not the same as a close friend.
3: No, and you're, you're right. And so, and this matters for, this is something that younger people really, really struggle with. They, they are calling millennials now, younger people, the head-down generation. Hmm. So, and right now, Uh, some grandparents are nodding their head as they're listening because they've sat at a dinner table with their family members, their kids, their grandkids, and five minutes has gone by and nobody has spoken to each other because their heads are down in their phones. And again, I'm not a a crusader against social media. I don't think it's all that, but I think You know, just investing, and this goes back to what we're talking about with this Thanksgiving idea, and I think that's a challenge for people. In this age of always wanting to be entertained, always wanting to... One of the reasons that people are choosing to go out shopping on Thanksgiving Day is because when you're forced to spend that much time with your family, and there's nothing else to do, and maybe there's nothing on TV that you want to watch, and you say, well, I don't know how I'm going to talk to them, so let's go out and do something. Yes. I think this is a time to commit as individuals to to real conversations with real people.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's that, um, you know, it's the the intimacy that makes people uncomfortable if they haven't been practicing it
3: all along with their family members. (laughs) Yeah, and and I'm not saying it's easy. My family can drive me crazy sometimes, (laughs) but I do think, you know, that is important. And, and this is why I, I so enjoy talking to you about this because you come at it from a psychology standpoint. So you're looking at it as how it's valuable for these people as individuals. And as a person who consults business leaders a lot of time, you know, I think too often what happens in their personal life is you say, well, that doesn't matter. We just want to talk about professional life. But the, the truth is, what happens in your personal life affects your professional life. Mm -hmm. And so if we're not making these types of decisions, if we're not investing in our families and ourselves as leaders, it has the potential to have positive or negative consequences uh, that flow over into our professional lives. Yes,
1: absolutely. Because if, if, for example, the head of a store who, or a chain of stores who um, doesn't have that that close relationship, doesn't value that time over Thanksgiving dinner and 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 Thanksgiving Day, and and is just fine with, or even prefers having something to do rather than actually having to have feelings, express feelings, have conversation, and so on, then they wouldn't realize how important it is to have that day uh, free to do that.
3: You're right, and, so, and then you're talking about a decision that an individual makes that not only affects them, but it affects their employees and their teams, and, so, and then, by extension, the, the families of their employees. And so I think that's something else to remind uh, people that are in leadership positions that you may think those actions only affect you, but your decisions uh, have a much broader impact then you realize. So, you know, eight essential exchanges is, is just about a decision making process and they all aren't, uh, they aren't all what I would call warm and fuzzy like that. Some <laughs> of them are very uh, serious business principles, but it really is just a framework with which uh, leaders and influencers can make decisions that have impact on their personal lives. Uh, their professional lives and and beyond even what they would understand.
1: And um, I pre- and this where would you like people to go to get the book?
3: Well, if they're interested in that book, they, it's available at, at retailers, so Amazon or Barnes and Noble. You can get the e-books, uh, and they can find the links to all of those sites uh, for that book and my others on my personal website, which is just Kevin paul scott by the name kevin paul com, and you know that i I enjoy this conversation carol because that's really what we do we help businesses uh, make decisions to help their businesses but they also help those businesses communicate what they care about what they believe in uh to the world and when you know businesses a lot of times get a bad rap we think that they're just about dollars but they have the opportunity if if managed correctly to be a force for good in our country and in the world and so we want to we want to inspire those leaders of businesses to make decisions that that have those kind of positive impacts
1: Well, yes, and I want to express my gratitude to you for um, standing out and uh, standing up for that and um and and promoting. Um, acknowledging the companies that are doing that and promoting that, uh, those beliefs, because yes, we I know, it, it is more than dollars and cents, especially now at this difficult time in our country. We need more businesses to be thinking more about family and community and, and, and what they're about, their values. Well, thank you so much.
3: Yep, yeah, well, thank you for what you do, and, and I would say this, that you talked about Veterans Day, and I think that's very important, and Veterans And that issue of the military is another way for businesses to put their money where their mouth is and show what they care about by doing things, by hiring veterans, and and by uh, giving to those causes. So thank you for what you're doing.
1: Well, you're very welcome. Uh, yes, we have a lot to give to be thankful for. Tomorrow, please, all of you, um, be sure to see what you can do for a veteran, a veteran's family, and um, be conscious of which stores are doing what on Thanksgiving and Black Friday. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.